When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have Ashley Lynn Priori. She is the CEO and founder of a company called Queen's Gambit. You might know that term. It's very familiar now that it's become, was it Netflix or HBO? I don't even remember. Netflix. And Netflix, but I know that everybody um, mainlined it immediately, but she has a real story behind it. And so today I want to welcome Ashley. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So tell us a little bit about Queen's Gambit and how you got there. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, when the series came out on Netflix, I got so many questions about it because people thought originally that my organization came after it and the Netflix series inspired it. And I was like, no, we were here first. Um, but then I got inquiries about people saying, you know, do you know Beth? Like, is she real? Like people were just very interested in, in the story and especially the name, since it's very unique that a story around Chester Weld around a woman that was exciting, but it also was keep in mind, the series was written and produced by a man. So we have, still have to, to keep that in mind as we're yeah. As we're watching. Yeah. This. No, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. yeah and, and it was from, from a book that of course a man wrote and, and it's very much from a male point of view. And we can see that in a lot of different parts of the series. Yeah. Um, but Queen's Gambit, I founded that in 2014. Um, I played competitive chess for years, but the chess scene is so male dominated. Like if you go into a room at a chess tournament, 500 kids, probably two of them are women um, and people just don't know that. And so that's why people were surprised with Beth Harmon because they were like, oh, she's going into a tournament. You know, she's the only woman there. That seems so odd. And we were like, it's not odd. That's what young women face. So I wanted there to be an organization that focused on empowering women and girls, but also emphasized, hey, there's a lot of inequalities in the game and we need to we need to talk about that. Why do you think that is? Because chess is something that started very young. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my kids got chess boards and introduced to chess when they were in preschool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, it is surprising too, because the chess queen is such a popular thing. People use it all the time. And we know in medieval times, queens and kings played the game. I think the main reason is, is that 
once it came to Europe, when chess was started in India and it came to Europe, it became so westernized and very much in white male culture. And so women were just not either allowed to play or they thought the game was too, quote, technical for them to play. And then it just started this cycle of the man in the family teaching the son, that son, when he had kids teaching his children, and it always focused on the male. Um, even in my family, you know, my mom never learned how to play chess. My dad taught my brothers, they learned first. And my sister and I, we just wanted to get involved. So we sort of forced, <laughs> forced the issue. But that's a huge part of it is that it's always taught by the father. The other reason is that women were often not allowed to play in tournaments. So all of the chess grandmasters that we see, just all male. It really has to do, I think, when it came to, to Europe and there was just different culture and mindset and people had, uh, people viewed it as just too, too tough for, for a woman to learn. Right. But then you learned and you were taught amongst boys and your sister, but were you the one who just excelled at it? I was the one that I think had to do one that I was the youngest and I just saw what my siblings had gone through in the chess community. And I was like, something needs to, needs to change. Um, but also I love teaching it. Like I just fell in love with the teaching aspect of the game and also the strategy, critical thinking element. Um, my brother is a fantastic chess player, uh, but he stopped playing once he got to college. And then my other brother stopped playing when he got to college. And then my sister did too. And I wanted to keep going. So I was the only one that kept playing and really focusing on chess throughout my college career, which I also think had a big impact. Um, but I often say that it's not because I was, you know, the best chess player in the room. It was more so that I, I saw it differently. And I also saw it from the perspective of being a young woman and having to be in the shadow of her brothers playing and everyone saying, oh, you're their little sister, not you're your own player. Right. Yeah. So you all grew up competing in chess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How old were you when you started? I was four when I learned. Um, and it's a funny story because remember my mom was doing something in the kitchen and uh, my brothers were on the sofa watching uh, TV. I think they were watching like Smallville or something that was on the CW or something. And I said to my dad, like, I want to, can I play with you? I want to play a game. And he was like, oh yeah, we can play. And so he brought out like, just like classic board games. I'm like, no, I want to do chess. And he was like, well, you don't know how to play chess. And I was like, no, I've been watching them. I really think that I can do this. And I had beaten my dad at that moment. And it was only a couple moves of the game. And he was like, how did you like, what's going on? And I, and I, I think it's because I watched my siblings play so much that I visualized how the pieces move. And I had a strong understanding of it from, from just watching and observing them. And then my mom like peered her head through like the doorway. And she was just like, this is crazy. Like, I mean, why are we having our four-year-old play when she could like take the pieces and like sw swallow them or something? Yeah. They were like, tiny little chess pieces. And then it just went on from there. I did my first tournament probably when I was about five and it built from that time. So chess has been in my life since I was so little. Yeah. So what are the things that you think that you gravitated to or loved or learned from it? You know? I think it was the the problem solving part. I loved that there would be an obstacle and you could work to to solve it. 
but also that when you would be playing on a chessboard, it's somewhat of an equalizer, right? Because if I were playing across from, from a boy, right? The only things that we would be using are the pieces, like in just our brains. And I loved that I could express myself through the game and I could also prove people wrong through the game. And I think we saw that a little bit in the, in the Netflix series too. But I also think I was drawn to a sport. Of course, there's debates about whether or not chess is a sport, but now I truly believe it's a sport. I was also drawn to it because I wanted more women to be in it. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of pressure too, because when you're like one of the few women in that sport, you feel like you have to always prove yourself and keep something yeah. going. Yeah. But once I let that go and I was like, you know, I'm here, I can do whatever I want to do. I felt a lot more empowered. And I think that's what drew me to the game. Yeah. I mean, that's women in business, right? We're always one of the only, you know, and have been traditionally. So it's like anything, it seems like anything that has to do with some kind of strategy is often thought to be more of a man's mm-hmm. game field, whatever it is. And uh, you're out there proving them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And so how long did you play? And what are you doing with chess now? So I played um, through till I was, you know, early on in college. But Queen's Gambit, when I found it in 2014, we were just focused on teaching the game. And it wasn't until I was in college and just had this whole new scope of interests that I took it to the next level. So now what we do is we really emphasize teaching young women and girls Um, teaching in underserved communities, but focusing on strategic leadership. And so we have discussions about being in business. If you're a young woman, what are you interested in? And the conversations that these young women have, you know, we're playing chess and we're talking about strategy, but oftentimes they're like, you know, we're taught as young women to go into STEM because that's something that we should be doing to prove a point. And I say, well, what are you actually interested in doing? And they're like, well, we're interested in being an attorney or starting a business or, you know, looking into different products and seeing how I can market them. Like they have so many broad interests, but they feel like they have to be focused in on one path. And so what we do is we say, you know, chess is all about possibilities. Let's think about what you're passionate about and balance it, right? You don't have to go into to STEAM or STEM just because someone tells you or you think that's the right thing that you should be doing. Um, so we focus a lot on business skills and being a woman in, in that space. And we look at consulting. What does it mean to um, be an inclusive leader and help other organizations succeed as well? So we do a lot around strategic leadership, entrepreneurship, but chess is the vehicle to which we talk about those things. Right. So you use that as like the mainstay to like, have those other topics, have those other conversations. And so who are the women that you're helping? Are they already in college? Are there, is there an average age? How do they get involved? Yeah. So really when we start off in the schools, it can be anywhere between first through 12th grade. I'll say that there's a spike in fifth and sixth grade, because that's when students have more opportunities to choose classes and things that they want to do. Um, when you're in lower school, it's very much fixed into here are the, all the classes you have to take. Um, But we go through public schools, um, different female serving organizations like Girls Inc., um, really trying to to find young women who have not had the opportunities to take part in such games. The really interesting thing, though, is that 
even though young women want to learn chess and there's an interest, they still have some fear about learning it. And their fear is that from what I've gathered with talking with these young women is that they just think that they won't be good at it. They feel like strategy is not something that they've been taught. And that's exactly what you said. I mean, strategy is always deemed as a man's thing. And I had a young woman that once said to me, like, she was like, well, my dad does like um, strategic consulting for a company and my mom's a doctor. And I've had a discussion with her about like, well, doctors need to use strategy too, just because you have a label. <laughs> yeah. For one, it's, it's just so interesting to me that, you know, we talk about how generations are growing and we're doing better. We are doing better, but there's still so much we need to do. So much, so much, you know, I mean, even your own father wasn't like thinking about teaching you to, you, you know, his girl's chest and you're like, why not? Exactly. And so you, I mean, you're barely out of college yourself, right? Yeah, I, I just graduated two weeks ago. I think. Exactly. Two weeks ago. So you're picking this up now, helping young women because you saw the struggle that you were going through and you knew what you were, you know, you knew what you were up against. And even though you were such a good chess player, I think we've talked before, you were still like told things that you couldn't, couldn't do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, talk a little bit about that. So many things like if I wanted one example from the chess point of view is if I wanted to sign up for a tournament, I would have um, chess instructors or colleagues be like, you know, not a lot of women attend those. So you might be like the only one there. They're like, we're not telling you that you shouldn't sign up, but just warning you. So like, that's like such a weird vibe on the chess side. Um, also, when we look at us chess, like the big governing body, Um, When I was interested in applying for their board, since I had nonprofit experience, um, they're like, you know, this is just not common for, you know, someone that's that young and a a woman to apply because the board is all older white men. So just like the things that people would say and thinking that it was okay to say it. And this extended beyond chess, even in, you know, just nonprofits or, you know, any work I do in like the political sphere, it's like, if you are, you're either too young to do something or because you are a woman, you already have so many other barriers and things to take part, like that, that you have to overcome. And so every time I just, I just like to think to myself, like, why can't I do this? Anytime I look at an opportunity, I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't apply for that. I have to ask myself like, well, why not? What's stopping me? And oftentimes it's those old voices when they said things like you shouldn't sign up for that tournament because it's, you're going to be the only girl there. It's like, well, all the tournaments I went at, it was only my sister and I. So I right. was, it's like, you got to start somewhere, right? Right. Exactly. Um, but now the company Queens Gambit is set up as a nonprofit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, and what kind of advice are you giving these women? What is it that like you hope to accomplish and achieve through, you know, your communications with them? It's a couple of things. One is that they have, so many possibilities and we want to help them find the one that's best for them. So we look at chess as a vehicle to help them do that. There's multiple ways to get to a certain path. If they visualize each chess piece as an obstacle or a challenge, how can those pieces work together to get to an end goal? Um, The other one is, is the networking component and finding women leaders that they really want to connect with. The chess community is small when it comes to having, you know, female grandmasters, et cetera. What we do is we, you know, we include all sorts of women from various industries and say, Hey, all of these women have used some sort of strategy in their life. 
So you need to talk with them and ask them questions. Mm -hmm. Um, On the side, outside of Queen's Gambit, you know, I have a, a consulting business and we really focus on like PR, marketing, but also general strategic planning. And what I find is that young women are often scared to start some sort of consulting or business on the side. They're more comfortable starting nonprofits. And I was like, well, why is that? And they're like, well, with business, it's like you don't have that support necessarily of your board of directors or a nonprofit's not profit. And I'm like, business though, it's so many successful women have been in that path. So what we're focusing on now is showcasing, you know, women like you or big business leaders and saying, hey, they chose this path, you know, how can you also choose that path? Right. Crazy fears. Yeah, no, the same, it's the same, you know, uh, mission with, you know, this podcast taking care of lady business is not only like giving real tactical advice and experience of the person I'm talking to, but it's also showing it's like they did it too, you know, and if you can see it, you can be it. And just like really going across and showing all the different paths people have taken, which is why it's so interesting that you became a professional, you know, chess player and, you know, been doing it for so long, but then, you know, here you are, two weeks out of graduation, I'm guessing around 22 and, you know, Gen Z and, you know, I'm Gen X, right. And there's a generation between us and it's still happening to you. And people think, Oh no, things are getting better. And you're like, no, the men are still saying the same things to you and giving you your own limiting beliefs and telling you what you can and can't achieve. And, you know, it's still happening. Right. And, you know, another overall big vision, that I've always had for the justice department is just getting that information out there for people to see that this is happening all day long. So I I will give people examples of, of women who are like paid less. And they think it's like from 20 years ago. It's like, no, that was last week. Like this is happening all day long. Is it happening with pure viciousness and like to, you know, hold women down like the Republican party is in our reproductive rights, like, which is completely, you know, for that reason. Not necessarily. It's not when it comes to business. It's not that. I mean, many men are all like, oh, I don't think of women any differently than men. And it's like, well, that's because you have the privilege of not to have to think about it. Like we don't have that privilege. You know, we have to, we walk in self-conscious that we're women when we're applying for business, you know, careers and, you know, jobs and as executives, because we're reminded constantly that we are women. We're like, we don't want to have to think about it either. Um, You know, so I love that you're, you know, taking it on your, you know, yourself in a nonprofit and a for-profit way to show that, you know, we we shouldn't think that making money is a dirty thing, Right. you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And like a prime example of that was when, I was looking at the rates I was charging for private instruction and a male colleague was like, why are you like even thinking about, about this? Like you should charge X amount for this hour. And that reminded me of what you just said. It's because like, he didn't have to think about that because he was a white male. He's Mm -hmm. been doing this before. And I'm like, no, as a, as a woman, I'm looking at the prices and being like, is this fair to X? Like, should I, I was under charging myself and I needed to be charging more, but I went through that process of, wait, I'm thinking about this. I'm a young woman. Am I charging the right amount? All of those doubt questions. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so often what I get is like, oh, well, what's, what's market? What is, you know, what do, what should we be doing? You know, what's fair? What's on? It's all up 
for you to decide. You know what I mean? There's no like rules when it comes. There's certain like market rules and market rates, but ultimately like you can decide your own deal terms and any kind of contract or whatever it is you're doing, including like your hourly rate, you know, it's like understanding what you deserve. I mean, and unfortunately, sometimes you have to like look at what men are doing in order to charge that, you know, but but oftentimes you're not going to get the same. You're going to get a discount. And that's, you know, that's the trend that we're trying to upend. It's like, no, we're worth just the same. We're equal. We're the same, you know? And you hit on another thing about like women in nonprofits. It's to me, it's like so many of these nonprofits are started because of white men's greed. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. The need of it, need of it, you know? And so when women have money, my friend, Lindsay Taylor Wood from the helm, she says this line. So I like to give women credit for where credit is due. When women have money, they're asked to give to philanthropies and charity and give it away. And when men have money, they're asked to invest and that creates generational wealth for them. And almost sometimes giving to charities just creates a cycle of the same, you know, you're, you're like the whole point of an, organization that 501c3 should be to be redundant. You don't need you anymore. And instead you're like fully funding more and more and more because the problems become bigger because there's, you know, more money in the hands of people who aren't doing the right things with it. You know, it's a whole vicious cycle of it. Exactly. Exactly. I love that line that you just said. That's so true. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'd love that you have the org because you're dealing with women in like, you know, who can't pay for themselves, who can't support themselves and think of things, you know, in a different way. But wouldn't you be happy if you no longer had to have have the charitable organization instead could just do everything for profit? Absolutely. Yeah. And we could impact so much more kids because, you know, without money, there's no mission. Like we need money to to go out there and reach these kids who can't afford it. But it would be so nice if we didn't have that, that barrier. Yeah, exactly. So tell us, um, so this has been started in 2014. So that's what, six, eight years ago. Okay. Like, I mean, I can do the math of how old you were at the time. And so tell us about people who've gone through this and what has, um, you know, women who have gone through the program, you know, where they end up, like, you know, how can people become affiliated, get be a part of it? It's so exciting to see the impact because there have been so many young women and students who have become teachers with the organization and get paid to teach and go out in their community and do work. Like I just finished late in um, 2021, like piles of like college recommendation letters. And it's so cool to see that, you know, young women are mentioning their experiences with chess when they're applying to jobs in the next phase of their life, because they're like, it had such a big impact on what they're doing. And they want to showcase that and highlight it. We've also seen that like confidence boost. There's one student that we worked with and she was so shy when we first met her. Um, She was so sweet, but so shy. And finally, after we had gotten to know her for a couple of years, there was just this fire in her that was like waiting to come out. And then she felt like she was in a space where she could showcase that. And she felt empowered, but she also felt safe and secure. And I think that's an important balance because, you know, I grew up in a space where I felt like I could express myself and I could say what what was on my mind, but this young woman didn't necessarily feel that way. And so providing those spaces where women feel included, I think is really important. Um, You know, if people want to get involved, I say like, I'm on that mindset that leaders should be 
somewhat easy to get in contact with. And, you know, my emails out there are contact on social media, but I'm very much with the mindset of we're all need to work together to create some sort of impact or change in our world, whether it's with climate change or women's rights, everyone needs to work together. So I'm very much of, if you reach out to me, I'll, I'll get back and we can connect. Um, you can go, you know, to our website as well, but um, Gen Z has such a huge social media presence, which is exciting to see, but it can also be daunting when you try to like DM someone that has tons and tons of followers. But we're yeah. finding this is that people will respond like women who are in those positions want to help. And if you reach out to them, they will respond back to you. Right. Um, and so when do you find that, you know, with Gen Z, there is more and it seems because it seems like this to me and my peers and colleagues like that there is more of a conscious understanding of a glass ceiling and that we need to make a concerted effort to change things or women will continue to be basically second class citizens, you know? Absolutely. There is an awareness. I feel like there's also some sort of anger because, you know, when we were very little, People were saying, oh, people like Hillary Clinton will become president or there's going to be we're in such a better place than we were. And it's just not true. I mean, I look at climate change as a big thing. It's like not even I mean, the science behind it's so important, but also this fact that our world could end and my generation's grandkids might not be alive. Right. Like it's just this this sense of anger, because there was ways that we could have fixed it beforehand, but we're still dealing with the same issues. And Gen Z is truly that last generation that can actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. Because us as policymakers will be making the decisions that will completely impact and change what is happening. And I saw this a lot during um, the recent presidency, because young people were like, you know, we're voting for Biden, he's the oldest president. And we asked for X, Y, and Z. And now we're just going back to that cycle of, okay, we asked for things that are not happening. This realization that if we want change, we have to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the fact that our reproductive rights are going to be taken away. It's like, like we did, our generation didn't ask for this. We were told that the people before us and before that, and before that, we're going to make a change and it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty depressing. I mean, you know, right now. And and so I just, you know, I'm hopeful that as women, you know, I know Gen X, we know it, we've been fighting for it, you know, down, you know, through millennials and, and Gen Z. And if we all band together, then hopefully something will really change. And not only that, but to really hold accountable the men in our lives, like mm-hmm. it's not okay anymore. It's not okay, like not to, uh, you know, fight for us in the same way as we fight for ourselves. So it's hopeful. And, you know, I love everything that you're doing and it's just so important, but teaching like, you know, strategy in a way that can apply across all different careers is so important as well. Not to be like, oh, you know, you you just have to be in STEAM or STEM. Like, it's great. It would be great to get more women in there, but that, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to like it. You know, my daughter's good at coding, but she doesn't love it. She started liking it more when it applied to things that she likes. And, you know, she does like fashion and she does like drawing and art, you know, and she does like those things that like, 
you know, and she likes video games and she likes that kind of stuff, but like not the ones that are like dudes killing stuff. Like she likes it when she gets to try on different fashion things that can be in fashion shows from fashion famous and Roblox, you know? And so it's just like, if you deal with it from a female point of view, um, you know, she's now really interested in figuring out if she can do NFTs, you know, cause she's oh, finding a little drawing that she likes, you know, she's dying for an Apple pencil. So she has to earn it, you know, <laughs> those kinds of things, so cool. exactly. but I love it. Let them do what they want to do, you know, and their interests. No, exactly what they're interested in and, but, and understanding that, you know, there are limits right now, but don't let the limits limit you. Right. And fight against those limits. Um, because I think my generation kind of accepted him for a long time. And then we got into business like, wait, what, what is going on? I thought like, if you worked really hard, you got paid the same. You don't. Well, why? That's insane. You know, um, there was just so much, there was just so much to fight against and it's like chipping away, you know, slowly one step at a time, but, you know, thank you so much for everything you're doing and thank you for spreading the word. So if people want to find you, they, you say you're easy to find, on which channels like how do they find you on instagram tiktok what is it yes they can find me twitter instagram linkedin it's all the same it's just at ashley lynn priori and um you know feel free to to visit our you know our website as well and queen's gambit uh find us on twitter and i'd love for for people to reach out and thank you for everything that you've done you've been really inspiring for me and so it's so exciting to Thank you. Um, So the one thing I do ask, one question I ask everybody on here is what is the worst advice you've ever received? I would say I was thinking about this because I remember when you and I had had talked about it because I asked you, like, what's the best advice you received? Yeah. Um, I think the worst advice I received is someone said to me, it was was a white man, uh, said to me, it'll be fine. You don't have to do anything. Just let things work out the way they'll work out. The pieces will fit. And it's like, no, you can't expect pieces to fit if they don't work together. Right. And so you can't just sit around and watch as things are, are just not either going towards the worst or not changing at all. So no, you can't just sit around and wait for things to fit because that's how we're in the mess that we're in right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You have to, you have to do things with a conscious purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Conscious and purpose. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all of this. The, everyone has their information on how to get in touch with Ashley, either through for Queens Gambit and, or her consulting PR, um, learn all things about strategy in particular for young women. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business, I'm Jennifer Justice. Thank you.